Welcome back, PGA enthusiasts. We got another week of golf ahead of us. We're making some money. And this week, we're entering my neck of the woods in the Northern Trust at Liberty National in Jersey City. I live in Hoboken, which is literally a mile away. Um, so I'm pretty pumped that they're coming to my neck of the woods. The tournament's going to be nearby. There's been a lot of buzz, a lot of people in the industry talking about stopping by and checking it out. So uh, it's exciting, to say the least. And, of course, as always this week, I have my trusted co-host, Sienna Jad, and my favorite guest joining us again, Spencer Aguilar. How are you guys doing? I'm, I'm doing great, Joel. Um, I, I'm excited to have Spencer back because he gave us so many good picks. I'm going to forget some, but I know Kevin Na was up there, Adam Scott. You know, he gave us so many picks, at Justin Rose, that I was kind of like, uh, that's just not on my radar, Spencer. And then, boom, here these guys are competing on Sunday afternoon to, to win this whole entire thing. So uh, happy to have Spencer here, that's for sure. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I had Kevin Kisner also. So I, I had an outright ticket on him, too. So that was nice. Uh, Adam Scott or Kevin Na would have been the two big ones if either one of those would have hit. I ended, We talked a little bit about Kisner last week just with the terrible WGC that he had and how – you know, I didn't think that was necessarily a deterrent for him last week. It was a good course fit. I thought it was a, you know, a tournament that was going to suit his game and had suited suited his game in the past with it. But uh, it was a good week for me. As you said, yeah, Adam Scott would have been a nice ticket. He doesn't blow the three and a half foot birdie putt in the first hole of sudden death. That would have been a big win. Uh, Kevin Na would have been one of the bigger wins I had had if he would have won. Uh, and Justin Rose would have been a nice ticket. But all in all, very good week for me. Amazing. I love it, Spencer. You know, your your demeanor is very much so like a, a good golfer, right? You never get too high. You never get too <laughs> a good week. You know, it's all right. Maybe not so good week. You don't change. I love it. The consistency, that's exactly what we're looking for because we are looking to consistently make money, which if you've been following along, we have been doing because we are on a bit of a heater. The last couple of months, we have been uh, making a lot of right picks. So it's not too late. The playoffs officially begin this week. Get on board, make some money with us as we stroll through this playoff experience. This is the first round. So if you don't know how it works, um, it's not like you need to make the cut to advance. You still is FedEx points, which these guys have been accumulating all season. There will be a few guys who need some extra points um, in order to advance to the top 70, who we'll get to next week. In my opinion, um, I'm not going to over-evaluate that. Here's my reasoning. It could be two things. While, yes, there might be a little extra pressure on some guys to get some extra points to advance but let's not forget the pressure could be good or bad right maybe some people guys thrive on pressure and they might want to do well but some guys don't do well in pressure and that extra pressure where they need to get a certain finishing position in order to advance could actually hurt them and not help them so i'm just going to use it as another tournament i'm not going to use fedex points or anything like that to influence my picks but still it's, it's a loaded feel i mean it does feel a lot like a major where we have all the big guys uh, I'll start with you, Sia. What are you looking at this week in terms of um, things to look for on this track? So I'll keep it pretty generic only because I know with Spencer here, it'll be fun to kind of hear, you know, how his breakdown goes. But I really, truly am looking for the complete golfer. And, and I know that's it's almost like a cop out answer, because if if we all knew who the complete golfers were, who were good off the tee on approach around the green and, you know, with the putter, we'd all be on the same people. Right. So but but I will say this. I would prefer picking guys in DFS or in the betting market that are good with the ball striking and have a good short game, you know, good around the green, good with the putter. They don't have to be excellent in all those things because that's not really a thing with the exception of, of a few guys that we'll talk about. But 
I, I'm just looking for the all-around game. I will say that it does look like the longer irons are going to be in play here. You at 175 to 200 plus, you know, if you want to like create a bucket of 175 to let's say like 220, like that, that proximity is going to be really important here. So I would prefer when I'm looking at approach to, and, and we'll hear what Spencer has to say about this to, to kind of focus in a little bit on, on that sort of proximity outside of that, you know, I'm looking for guys who can make birdies. I'm also looking at bogey avoidance. I'm looking at three putt avoidance a little bit, but you know, I'm looking for birdie makers and I'm looking for the all around game. Now to, to help tee it up for tee off sports. Uh, I want to say, Spencer has one of the most in-depth look into how he sets up a tournament, the stats that he's looking for. He really breaks down, and you can tell, and he's going to do it in a minute, where he shows you kind of how much he's weighting everything, why he's doing it. Uh, So if you haven't been following Spencer before, check him out. Check out what he's about to give you right now because it really is helpful when you're preparing for a tournament. So, Spencer, what are you looking at this week? Well, I appreciate that, and and I will say, this is a very convoluted answer this week I'm going to give, so – Uh, nobody will be disappointed on that front, but I threw out any data pre 2013, you know, players voiced dissatisfaction after the 2009 iteration of this event, causing the course to undergo significant changes to the greens, fairways, and sand traps. The newer version of Liberty national has 90 plus bunkers and 13 water hazards, but you do have some of that general older pitfalls that can be found. As he has said, you know, I think an all-around game is what I am going to be looking for this week. Fairways are relatively wide, but there is some fescue and bluegrass rough that will come into play. Now, I will say, I read from Rom and Rory that it's not as thick as it usually is. Uh, maybe that means distance can be amped up a little bit. Uh, the greens are fast and feature narrow landing zones that place GIR 4% below tour average. And I do think wind will play a factor with the way the venue is set up on the coast. So, I started off with 25% on a weighted T to green category that I made. I didn't have a ton of historical data to work with for Liberty National, but I did calculate off the T to a 2% more impactful here than tour average. Um, essentially, when I removed putting from the equation altogether, the breakdown looked like 26% off the T, 52% approach, and 22% around the green. I then took that recalibrated projection and made my weighted T to green stats so that's just everything with putting being removed and then I took the strokes gain data to come up with my own number for the week I placed 17 and a half percent on weighted proximity I didn't use all the proximity ranges the ones I did use were 100 to 125 where 12 and a half percent of the shots come from 125 to 150 17.4 percent 175 to 200 20.8 percent and 200 plus at 31.3 percent Because that obviously doesn't equal 100%, I had to recalculate those numbers as if no other iron shots were present, which left me with 39% from 200 plus, 25% from 175 to 150, 21% from 125 to 150, and 15% from 100 to 125. Um, That's obviously a complicated way to get my weighted proximity this week. I think you could do it a little bit easier and potentially just look at that 175 plus over 50% of shots come from there. I think that's the more simplistic way to try to build it. I have 17 and a half percent on weighted par four, the five par fours here measure between 400 or there are five par fours that measure between 450 to 500 yards. They're the most difficult at this track. So I did a 70, 30 split gear towards that range uh, with the 30% being bogey avoidance. I then did 60% par four scoring and 40% on that first number I created. I have 10% on par five birdie or better percentage, 
Two of the three are reachable and two shots, but all three provide some of the easier scoring looks that we will have. I did a 50-50 split between strokes gain total on bent and strokes gain total in moderate to severe win for 10%. Win doesn't look to be a heavy factor early, but coastal gusts are always relevant. I have 10% on sand save percentage. That's because of the 90 plus bunkers. And I wrapped it up with 10% on ball striking. That's another 70-30 split between distance and accuracy to form total driving. And then a 50-50 split between GIR and that total driving number I created. When I did it originally, it was 50-50 with distance and accuracy. I changed it a little bit to go towards the distance. I know the course has been wet. I think distance will be not a massive factor, but it will help. I, I actually agree. I'm using distance for me as a tiebreaker this week. I like some of the longer players this week. Um, that was a really, really great, great breakdown, Spencer. Uh, very in-depth. And one question I have, just because I heard you break all that down, and one thing I kind of waffle with in my head is when there's a difference in a track, let's say, like I think you mentioned greens and regulation, where it's, I think, 4% more difficult here. Um, what percent would you – would you look for for it to be significant enough to make a difference, right? Because, like, you know, if it's a 1% change, it's probably not that significant where I'm really going to be weighting it too much. So where are you looking for it to say, okay, this is a statistical significant change where I really want to look for guys who are doing X, Y, Z? Well, I think when it's substantially above or below, I mean, if it's over 5%, you're obviously starting to talk about a significant enough difference that I'm going to look for it. I think every course is a little bit dependent on what it is. Um, when the way I did my model this week, obviously I put it a little bit more than the total driving because, um, these are just such small greens here. Uh, that was more of my thought process with it rather than even what the percentages were than anything else with it. And, um, I'm trying to find guys that are, you know, good total drivers, but I think that like the PGA tours definition of ball striking, I think GIR percentage comes into play in all aspects with it, but I would say, I guess to answer the question, to give an answer for it, like four to 5% is a lot and anything more than that, like then it's starting to become substantial. I, I love that. that. That's a really good point for me this week. Uh, and this is something new I'm doing. I think I mentioned it last week. The biggest factor that I'm putting in here is, is roster construction. I'm making a shift in how I build my lineups to less of all of the intricate data. Cause we've seen in a lot of these tournaments, what I'm seeing guys on the leaderboard can vary from, Bryson DeChambeau to Ian Poulter, who are vastly different golfers, and they can be in the top five. So if those two guys are in the top five, it's not really one thing that is causing them to be in the top five, right? Very many different things can cause you to get there. What I want to do this week is um, find value, right? Which guys are just – we're getting a, a good price on. Is a better golfer than the number we're getting? If I can find build all my lineups with a lot of value, that's what I want to do, especially – in these loaded fields, right? When we get those JV tournaments where, you know, every guy is, you know, a, a C plus player, it's harder to do that because it's, you know, all these guys are the same, but right now there's, you know, 20 to 25 B plus to a players. And then we go down and there's still kind of some B guys in the seven K range. And I want to just build a full card of B to B plus players and not go below that. And if I can be more balanced and just have a lot of heavy hitters and avoid dipping down to that low six K range and, throwing random flyers on guys. I think that's going to keep me, my lineup's really strong and I have the best case, best chance of success. Um, so that's my thought process. That's how I'm changing things up a little bit this week. But let's let's dive right into it. I think uh, we have a pretty loaded field. I think we can get right in, right involved in the 10K range. Sia, why don't you kick us off? What do you like up top? 
So there's, first of all, it's hard to make an argument against any of these guys, obviously, but you, but you have to pick a couple. It's going to be hard to play two in your lineup. It's possible, but it's going to be hard. So you're really going to probably have to stay, take a stand on one if this is where you choose to start your lineup, which I, obviously most people will choose to do that. You don't have to, but most people will choose to do that. So the two guys I think I'm focused on are Jordan Spieth and John Rahm. I think those are my two favorite. I, I can make arguments against the rest of the crew i think brooks kepka is also a really interesting play so honorable mention to brooks kepka but i just think jordan spieth is is just going to be so good for this course i think he does everything well off the tee you know early in the year it was a little shaky it's definitely gotten better he's certainly not elite there but i just think you know when you look at the stats that that i'm looking at i mean Speed, he's number one in so many areas. Uh, and I'm looking just at the last 36 rounds, but Birdie or Better gained, he's number one. Strokes gained, par five, number one. DK points, DraftKings points, which is important. You might, know, you might not incorporate it into your model, but it's nice to see. And he's number one there too. So obviously I'm cherry picking his number one stats, but that's just, just those three kind of speak volumes. As far as John Rahm is concerned, I don't think I really need to sing his pre- I, I will say this about Jordan Spieth though. When we're looking at those longer iron proximities, he doesn't rate out really, really well there last 36 rounds. So that's something while his approach number as a whole is really good. Those proximities, he's not great. He's a little below average there. So that's something to consider, perhaps. As far as John Rahm is concerned, I mean, there's really nothing he does poorly. The only thing he does poorly is his contraction of COVID. He sucks at that. He gets it all the time. So to me, and I I know it's almost like I'm trying to be funny, but like, think about it. What has stopped John Rahm over the last two to three months? One thing has stopped John Rahm, and it's literally COVID. It has nothing to do with golf. I mean, he's off the tee. He's number five. Um, GIR's gain, number one. Uh, Birdie or better gain, 14. Strokes gain, par five, seven. Uh, bogey avoidance, eighth. Uh, strokes gain, tee to green, fifth. I mean, he's just, you know, again, I'm cherry picking the, the, the top 10 stats. But, like, the, the really poor stats, like the one where he really sucks at, putting, 58th. He's still above average in this field. So it's like he does everything really well. And yeah, he's really expensive in DraftKings. But, you know, with what we have in the six and seven K range, you can absolutely make plenty of lineup constructions work with John Rahm at the top. So those are the two guys I like the most. I, I do like Brooks Kepka quite a bit as well. He, he grades out really well. He's number seven in my model, which isn't fantastic given his price. But I do expect him to shine in this field. It's basically a major field. Oh, no, I have a bone to pick with you. I can't let you get away with this. I cannot, I can't allow it. Is so, it me so, singing the praises of Jordan Spieth? No, 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 no. Oh, that, Okay, okay. That's another one, actually. We can go down that path another time. But yeah. even worse, it was only, I think, a week ago, maybe two max, where you, we went, you went on a whole tangent about Colin Morikawa <laughs> being the best golfer in the world. There's no one better than him. I, no one's playing better. I see no. You can put him at any price. We should. We just have to play him. And now he's not even being mentioned. Yeah, that's interesting. So uh, here's is, is a couple things working against Colin Morikawa. One is like the ebbs and flows of of, of Colin Morikawa and Victor Hovland. Like, and I'm not I'm not going to include Matthew Wolf in this, but like you know they they step forward and they step back a little bit, which I know is a little narrative-y. But because I'm looking at the all around game. I'm not 100% sure I trust Colin Morikawa's putter. I mean, granted, he can pop with the putter. I totally get it. And there's going to be a lot of players I like that don't have a great putter. But like as a whole, I just think Jordan Spieth and John Rahman Brooks are probably better. It's not that I don't like Colin Morikawa, but the other three guys, when I'm considering price as well, I just, I just like them better. 
but you're right. I mean, Colin is, you know, like a lot of the stats that I was just talking about, Colin is, you know, strokes gain T to green last 36. He's number one. Um, par four, 450 to 500, which is going to be, you know, a lot of the par fours here. He's number one there. Uh, number four in proximity, 175 to 200. Like he does a lot of things really, really well. GIR is gained. He's number two. DK points, number four. Uh, you can make an argument for all of these guys. But in terms of like the timing of things and this particular tournament, I think I like those three the most. Well, and in fairness, you know, part of the point I was making before when I kind of my tournament set up is this. You can find value in the 7K and the 8K range, guys that are better than their number. At the top, all these guys are great. I mean, even if you think one guy's a little better than the other, they're all great golfers. It's not surprising if any guy in the top range wins the tournament because that's the reason they're priced this high. So it's a lot harder to pick from the top range than it is to find value lower where we can find guys that are actually better golfers in the, in the similar range. Um, but cool. That, I like it. That, that was, that was a good breakdown. Spencer, who are you looking at up top? Uh, well, you know, I guess to go down the Colin Morikawa thing, like obviously he's going to be popular. I have him at about 19%, but he possesses the best floor ceiling combination I had when I ran my model. First in my model for uh, GPPs, second for safety. He also ranks top 13 in six of the seven stats I used including being first or second in tee to green, strokes gain total on bent or win, weighted par four, ball striking and weighted proximity. Uh, if I'm looking at mass entry contests here, I love Brooks Kepka this week. He might be my favorite play on the board. I don't really have any red flags for him. He should be at least around or near 10% owned. Uh, he grades as one of the better contrarian values I can find. And he's the reason why I run my model for a two-year sample size to get rid of some of that recency bias with him or with players in general. He's gained T to green in nine of his last 10 off the T in his last 12 with his irons in seven of 10 and around the green in nine of uh, nine of 13. But the WGC performance is kind of what's in everybody's mind where he was bad around the green. He was bad with his irons and that's all anybody's remembering right now. And like, when I look at it, like, Take a guy like Dustin Johnson. I know he's going to be about at the same ownership percentage. Obviously, you have $11,000, second highest price guy on the board. But I think a lot of what we've seen from him recently is kind of being baked in the TPC Southwind. That was a course that was suited for his game. 63.3% of irons came from within 175 yards. My model has him nearly six feet worse off of his 2018 proximity totals from 175 yards and over. I think that's a red flag to look at now. He has been better recently. Those numbers are turning around. Um, but I'm almost okay with just letting him beat me if he can pull that off. As Sia said with Jordan Spieth, I, I think he remains one of the safer options you can find. His struggles off the tee have been negated recently as he grades 46 ranking spots higher in this field over the last 24 rounds when comparing him to my long-term data. And then the one to me that I like, he's going to be popular but I think it's understandably so, is Rory McIlroy at 10,000. Ball striking has been phenomenal. He gained 12.35 shots at the WGC in that category. Really, we're looking at a hot putter, and, and I think if we get that from him, I think he has a chance to win. So uh, for me, probably Morikawa and Spieth would be my two favorite cash plays. I like Brooks for GPP, especially in mass entry contests. I, I like Rory. I'm going to monitor that ownership a little bit, and I'm probably going to have a hard time in single entry and three maxes not playing Colin Morikawa. So I have a quick question for you. You did mention you see no red flags with Brooks Kepka. And my only concern with Brooks is 
he mentioned last week that he was having some knee pain, and he's not that far off from this knee surgery. So my concern, listen, we've seen him have some incredible results post, post the surgery already. So we know he's capable of playing through it. We've already seen it plenty of times this year. Um, but if he complained about it last week, he didn't have the good showing. My concern is that the poor play was more tied to the injury than just having an off week. What do you say to that? Here's the one thing I will say to that. I never take what Brooks Kepka says at face value. Yeah. Like he is, if he misses a cut, he's hurt. If he wins the tournament, he's fine. So I, I never look at it. Like we see him before on some of these press conferences saying like, oh, he's not ready. He hasn't played golf in a month. And then he goes out and wins the tournament. So I, I've kind of just learned to ignore what he's saying and just move on with it. I think that's fair. You're right. You can't trust anything he says. He's he's always throwing you off somehow. So totally fair for me up top. Um, I'm I'm kind of like I'm where you were with Morikawa two weeks ago on Rom, right? I just there's no flaw. I, I think there's no number you could put on him where I wouldn't want to play him because the way I look at it, you guys know me. I'm playing a lot of lineups. The more exposure I have to him, even if he doesn't win this tournament, what's the worst case? I mean, the worst case is he gets eighth or ninth, and it's still enough points where I'm going to cash. So I just think it's very safe to have Rom as long as I hit on some of my value plays down low. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love Morikawa. I, I, I kind of agree. I think Morikawa and Rom are kind of the, just the best two golfers in the world. And then everyone else is falling in behind them. Other than that, if you want to find like a value play up top, like for the big tournament somewhere, somewhere to be different. Um, it, it, the ownership right now looks a little higher than I would have liked, but I think the, the move I would go to is our, is on Xander. Um, if he stays below, well below 10%, He's too good. I just I don't I do think you're overpaying for him a little bit here, but for a guy as good as Xander to get that low of an ownership percentage, that's the kind of thing you're looking for for GPP. So uh, that could be a way to get different there. Let's drop down to the nine K range, Spencer. Do you want to kick us off there? Yeah, I mean I think we have a, a strong range of a start here. I mean we have Justin Thomas at nine thousand eight hundred, Bryson DeChambeau at nine thousand six hundred, uh, Victor Hovland at nine thousand five hundred. I think you can make an argument for each one of them. Now, the one thing I will say about Thomas, I know the ownership is right now only at, I have him at 9.7%. I think he is catching some steam here recently. I think if you were to put a gun to my head, ask me who I like the most, I think Bryson makes a lot of sense this week. I think that if the course is soft, if I think that the course is going to require some distance, you know, Bryson's a guy where, I guess the best way to say this is he is his biggest critic. He's very hard on himself. And I know he's had a bunch of bad Sundays in a row here. I almost, maybe the only argument would be you kind of have rowdy fans this week. Maybe they get into his head because he has a lot of stuff like that going against him. But I like the shambles upside. I think at $9,600, less than 10% ownership, he always comes into play. Hovland at about 10% ownership. I think the around the green game is not as bad as the perception is for it. Sure, he goes out and randomly implodes. And you remember it at like WC, WGC concession where he's just going back and forth a million times and he's duffing chips and he's doing all these things that don't look good on paper. But in general, he's okay. He's gaining four of his last seven. I don't think that it's as bad as it looks. Uh, I think Berger's safe for cash. I, I think Cantlay makes a little bit of sense potentially for GPPs. Uh, the one person I'm out on, which I'm curious to hear both of your guys is, opinions because I feel like I'm the only one that is in this mold with it but I want no part of Abraham answer this week I just think that you know you look at it it's one thing when he's in the seven thousand dollar range it's another thing when he is nine thousand four hundred dollars and you need him to 
you know, get a top 10 performance. Sure, he can do it. I just think that it's a price tag that I don't necessarily want to play. So for me, Scheffler Burger for cash. Um, I like Hovland DeChambeau for GPPs. I'll do a di- deeper dive into Cantley and JT. And then I'm probably out on answer and probably honestly out on Hideki also. I like it. I like I- I'll follow that up. I um I kind of I find answer interesting because answer has the upside, right? We know answer can top five. I agree he's way overpriced. And we're used to like I love answer as the seven thousand seventy seven hundred dollar value in these big tournaments. I'm like, yes, seventy seven hundred. I know he can get me the top five. Now, when he's coming in at the 9K and now he just has to get the top five just to meet value, I like him a whole lot less. Now, he's not completely eliminated from my player pool because I do think he has the upside. He's shown on this course that he's done it before with a top five here in the past. So for that reason, you know, I do want to have some exposure to him, um, but he feels a whole lot worse at this price range than he would have. Like we normally like him as like the steel $7,000, $7,000 price guy. So my ownership of him will be low. And the big kicker for me on answer is going to be his final ownership. If that starts ticking up above 15%, then yeah, I'm going to fade it because an overpriced guy that's that high owned, it's not worth it. If it's, if it, if the high price knocks his ownership down, then I'll go back and take that chance because he does have enough upside to play him. Um, for the rest of this range for me, I actually, I don't, something's tell, I just really like Bryson this week. I, the, the first hunch about how I think distance is going to help was the first thing where I was like, okay, let's not forget Bryson also has, he actually excels in his long iron games, which you're going to need here. Bryson's weakness is the short iron. So hopefully mm-hmm. he just avoids that altogether and he could be, and he makes putts. Like people just think Bryson's just this bomber. He's not. Bryson's a really good putter as well. So you know, Bryson's a better putter than your JTs, your Morikawas, you know, those guys. So um, if Bryson has one of those weeks where he's keeping the ball in play, and like the guy said, if the rough isn't bad and he can survive hitting it out of there, I think Bryson can be really competitive this week, and he's not looking very high owned. So Bryson's going to be one of my favorite GPP plays. And then, you know, sh- sh- rounding out this range, I'm going to try and fade a lot of the chalk. I know a lot of people like Scheffler this week. For GPP purposes, Scheffler is really good. He just doesn't seem to get, like, top fives. He's an eighth, ninth, tenth, which is really good. But at this price, you know, if he was 7700 I'd play him every time. At this price, I need to find some some lower price guys to get me that spot in my lineup. So I'm probably not going to be overplaying Scheffler. Um, I have a similar reasoning with Berger. I'm, I'm probably not going to be overplaying him. The only other guy in this range that I find interesting that I might I, – I, I'm not sure if I mentioned Hovland. I do like Hovland. I'll be playing Hovland. But also Thomas. I think Thomas is interesting based on an ownership play. I think more people are coming around him this week than I would have liked. And if that stays the case, I probably won't go there. But the ball striking numbers haven't been as bad as his, as his results. So the other things are going to fall in place. I mean, he's still capable of gaining five, six strokes on the on the field, which he's done recently. He just needs to make some putts, which he's going to do eventually. He's not the worst putter I've ever seen, uh, even though he's been looking like that recently. So uh, one of these weeks it's going to come. If, if the ownership is there, this might be the week I, I give him a shot. See, what are you looking at here in the 9K room? Yeah, so answer is really interesting because I like him, but I totally understand the idea of like, I'm not paying 9400 When I can go 100 above and get Victor Hovland, who it's almost like the calm before the storm with Victor Hovland, right? We're not really talking about him, but he's elite. And when he 
finishes second in this tournament, we're going to be like, oh, why, why didn't we? Why weren't we on Hovland? It's just one of those things where it's a rotation between him and Colin Morikow in terms of who is in our consciousness at the time. So I love Hovland as a GPP play. I think answer is probably more of a cash play. I do like his all-around game. He obviously rates out really well. And you're right, in 2019, he finished second year. So he certainly makes sense. Scheffler is one of those things where I might end up playing him, but he really is chalky. And we'll do our chalk, no chalk segment probably in like 20 minutes or so where I play that game. For those of you that are listening with um, with Spencer and uh, Joel, and we just say, you know, kind of determine real quickly who the good chalk is and who the bad chalk is. So certainly answer is going to be, or I should say Scheffler is going to be featured there. So I'll keep it short. I, I like Hovland as a GPP play. I still like answer, but I understand the hesitation. You never want to buy the stock at its highest moment right at its highest price and that's kind of where you're at with um with abraham answer i like scheffler if i had to choose another guy it would probably be daniel berger but i don't like his ownership either i mean i I think i'm i'm ready to probably put him in the bad chalk category spoiler alert even though i do think he's he's great here i don't think i'm going to be on justin thomas or bryson but i totally understand the bryson argument i just as far as justin thomas i just don't think i can come around on him so uh long story short hovland Answer and Scheffler. I think Hovland is definitely the, the superior GPP play of those three. Um, but then next thing I'm doing is moving right to the 8K range because I think there's some really good. Joel, you said you know you're really interested in some of the quote value plays, and I think we have those in the um, in the 8K range and and on down. But real quick, Joel, before we go there, I, I did want to just note some comments. So North Fork, or otherwise known as Coach, I believe, uh, love you fellas, appreciate that. We've got S guy who's always in here. Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, S guy, thanks for always kind of watching us and being part of the show. Stoby, one of our writers, he's probably working really hard on on um, all the Win Daily NFL stuff. Which, by the way, if, if you're not at WinDailySports.com yet, after the show or maybe during the show, just go there real quick and look at some of our offers, uh, particularly for the football season. It's like the, the best offers you're really going to see in the industry, as far as I'm concerned. This is Yamazaki um, chiming in. Uh, we had, I think it was North Forker who asked us to give us give some cash plays. So maybe later in the show, um, when we go over the chalk, no chalk, we can kind of determine the cash plays from there. Um, I don't know. What is this question? Any idea which of the elite range golfers is projected to be? Okay, so we kind of covered that. Um, but we'll go over that again uh, before the show is out. And I think that's pretty much... That just gave me a headache. I wonder if that's referring to Spencer's uh, breakdown, which is hilarious and fantastic. All right. So uh, I just wanted to kind of kind of go through those. Ivan has a question. Do you need an elite range golfer or can you start at the 9K range for SC and 3Max? So I'll, I think we should all answer that question before we go to the 8K range. But no, I, I think you can start in the 9K range, especially when the 9K range starts with Justin Thomas and Bryson DeChambeau and Victor Hovland. First of all, Almost every tournament, I'm a proponent of starting in the 9K range, at least with some of your lineups, because usually, depending on the talent pool, like usually the 9K, it's, listen, elite golfers don't always win all the tournaments. It's just, that's not how golf works. So there's usually a lot of value in the 9K range. So if you want to start there and build a more balanced lineup, um, not only do I encourage that for this tournament, but I encourage that for most tournaments. I will say this though, this is a really solid field with the best players in the world. So if there was a tournament to grab a guy in the elite range, maybe it's this one. But again, because we have the likes of Justin Thomas and Bryson and Victor Hovland that are in the 9K range, you can get away with it. But it's just it's just one of those things where it is a talented field. But um, you guys, t- tell me what you what you think there. Well, I mean, the, the one thing I'll say to that is is kind of going based off of what you just said. Like a guy like Thomas and DeChambeau, 
with a little bit of better form, they could have been high $10,000 golfers themselves. So mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with it. Uh, I kind of like the $6,000 range more than Joel does. And I also like Morikawa and Kepka. Um, so it's just going to depend a little bit on what kind of build, but I don't have a problem starting in the nines. Like, as I said, Thomas DeChambeau and Hovland are just like, you could fit two of those in real easily. And I don't really have a problem with any of them. As I said, Hovland and DeChambeau would probably be my preferred start if I was going to do that. But Thomas's ownership is great also. So I'll just break down generally my thought process with the elite range and things like that goes like this. In a more elite field with all these good golfers, I actually think it's better to fade the elite range because mm-hmm. there's still a lot of good golfers in the ranges below, in the couple 9K, 8K range below, and you can be more balanced. When you get some of these JV tournaments, the weaker fields, I think the top is way stronger compared to the rest of the field. So you kind of have to squeeze some of those guys in just because there's a bigger gap. And then I think the lower ranges, the 6 and 7K range, are closer because you know, there's not as many good golfers at the top. So those guys are, are more similar. You can find value down low. So when it's a loaded field like this, I actually have no problem at all fading the top range. Now, I do like Morikawa and Ram this week, and I will have them. But I actually think it's a really smart idea. If, if you don't like those guys, feel free. Fade the whole range. Like, you can make an argument for three or four guys in the 9K range that are better than DJ and Xander for this week. We were in the 10K range. So that's no problem at all. I, I think it's, it's a smart strategy. With that being said... The AK range we are. So yeah, let's kick us off. So let, let's play a little game. Um, I'm going to tell you that the following stats belong to Bryson DeChambeau, who we know as, as a long hitter. Now, us three, we kind of know what he does on a regular basis. But for, for the casual viewer, the, the casual DraftKings uh, participant, so just hear me out here. So I'm going to tell you that Bryson, this, this heavy hitter, is second in strokes gained par five is 15th in birdie or better gained, is 8th in DK points, is 2nd in strokes gained T to green, and is 1st in proximity 200-plus yards, which we know is going to be um, a heavier focus in this particular tournament at the Northern Trust. If I was like, yeah, that's that's Bryson's stats, I think the casual listener would be like, yeah, that, that sounds like it would be a, a Bryson stat line. Then, then I'll just throw one, one other one in, which kind of debunks the whole thing. Oh, he's also second on approach in this field, last 36 rounds. And it's like, okay, well, that's probably not Bryson. Okay, the the guy I'm mentioning, who seems to be this like heavy hitter who was like really like crushing it with the par fives and the DK points and and um you know T to green in proximity 200 plus, it's Paul Casey at 8700. So you're getting a stat line from a guy who appears to be. And again, I'm cherry picking some stats, but frankly, all the stats for Paul Casey are good with the exception of maybe one or two. And I just think if you read that and you said that's Bryson, or if you said that's Justin Thomas, or if you said that's whoever you want to, Brooks Kepka, you'd be like, yeah, that, that sounds about right. This guy's 8,700. Like, yeah, I mean, Paul Casey's not a sexy name. I understand why people would be like, yeah, but it's Paul Casey. Well, okay, I just told you what the metrics were. So you do whatever you want with, with the, the name recognition thing, but... I, I just think Paul Casey is kind of a gift here. And so that's where my focus is. The, the other guy I like in this range, at least initially, I mean, you guys are scaring me off of him a little bit because the wet course and how distance may, may come into play. But I love where Webb Simpson's game is. You know, dating back two tournaments ago where he had a really fabulous round four. He played at the window. We knew he'd play well. He played really, really well. The ball striking was great. I just think he's in good form. He's sort of shed the COVID stuff. He's shed the minor injuries he had. And I think he's ready to kind of like really kill it for this FedEx Cup playoffs. So at 8,900, you know, I, I 
it looks like he's kind of popular, which is shocking to me um, because I don't think he's like a super great course fit, but that's a guy I'm, I'm at least looking at. Those are the only two guys that really jump out at me in this range though. Yeah. So I'll jump on that with Webb Simpson. I think he's interesting for me. I, my initial take on Webb was off of him because we know last week's tournament was the Webb Simpson Invitational, right? And mm-hmm. we got this tournament. And I think because he did so well at his his tournament that people are a little over kind of leaning toward him because they're taking that recency bias. And now this isn't his course anymore. With that being said, he's the only person in this field that has three top 20s on this course. And there's only three um, events to go off. So he does have a good course history here as well. But they're more closer to 20 than they are, uh, you know, winning it. Um and I think his ball striking numbers, um, other than last week, which were astronomical, before that where he knows the course, were below average for someone at 9K. Like if Webb was 8K, $1,900 cheaper, I would think the value is there. Closer to 9K, I don't love him. Um, but I can certainly see your argument for him there. So um, can I just say something too before we, we kick it back to you? There are three guys that I have my eye on, but I just can't decide. So I just want to get their names out there and I'm kind of hoping – Either you or Spencer either like them or don't like them. So I can just kind of settle that debate that I'm having with myself. Cam Smith, Joaquin Neiman, Sam Burns. So I'm just going to put that out there. Those are three guys I'm considering, but I haven't really decided yet. Anyway, Joel, sorry to interrupt. No, no, that was, that was, that was, I'm glad you brought that up. So um, Harris English, I'm kind of taking the same approach on as, as I would uh, Abraham Answer. It just feels overpriced at this point. I think people are coming around. I like English in the 7K range as an elite golfer. I just I don't love him as much, and and the ownership that he's looking at, I'm probably not going to be heavy on him. Um, Paul Casey, I'm with you. I think it's a gift. I think he's been really, really consistent. I mean, in his last five outings, he has got three top tens and a top fifteen, uh, and those aren't just you know eights or nines; those are fifth and fourth. I mean, he's right there. I don't think he's going to win the tournament, but like I said, you don't need to win the tournament, right? If he gets you that seventh place here, and he can be your third golfer or what have you, that's good enough. So. I think you're right about Paul Casey. I think he's striking the ball so well right now. Um, and now let's start thinking about kind of value. I think Patrick Reed is the guy that's starting to get overlooked. Uh, you know, he hasn't been super in his last few, but let's not forget, Patrick Reed can pop at any time. And he's one of those types of guys that just gets really hot around the green. He's not someone that's been missing too many cuts. I mean, he's making cuts. He just hasn't gotten us those top 15, top 20 finishes that we'd like to see. But he's a guy that can pop, and at 8,600, we can start building you know, more balanced lineups with you know guys like Reed in there who doesn't have to – he can be your third or fourth guy and, and really have a balanced lineup. Cameron Smith is interesting. He's one of those guys that's not going to grade out super well. He got on all the data advanced metrics things because his ball striking isn't there. I think he left a bad taste in my mouth when he hit the ball into the woods on 18 and cost me a whole bunch of money. So as of right now, I'm not too high on Cam Smith for that reason. Uh, I could change my mind. The, the number, I think I would have liked him five to $800 cheaper. At this point, I, I don't think it's as big as a value as I normally get with him. So for that reason, I'm probably looking another direction. Um, I don't love Scott or Connors. One of the, the guys I really like, I know, well, I'm going to touch my guy last. I will say I like Burns and Neiman. I think these are the types of values where we can get guys who these guys could have been at the higher up of the AK range. And I don't think we would have blinked an eye. Um, they're both playing really well. And this is how I can start balancing my lineup with, with good, good golfers who I can just kind of squeeze in. So those guys I will be playing, but my sneaky GP play of the week. I know what you're doing here. I know what you're, <laughs> I know what you're going to say too. And, yeah. and I, if it is, I agree. Tony Finau. Yeah. It's Tony Finau. I think Tony Finau is, 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 
He's listen, we've seen him. He is very capable of being a top five golfer at $8,200. These are the types of guys that I want to squeeze in GPP lineups when the end of the tournament comes and Tony Finau finished in sixth place. Is anyone going to be shocked? No. Uh, if you know, uh, Ian Poulter finishes in sixth place, it's possible, but that's more of like, whoa, Poulter really had a good week. If Tony <laughs> finishes in sixth, that's just another week for him. So that's the type of guy that I'm looking to build into my lineups because he's a better golfer, maybe not in the best of forms. But he's not, like, lost. I think this is a week where he can put one together and compete. Spencer, what are you looking at in this range? Well, you stole the Tony Finau thunder from me. But I am happy you said it, and I'm happy you're in agreement because I think he's one of the best plays on the board this week. Um, You know, we look at the price tag, and we look at the ownership percentage. This is kind of what we want for a guy that has lack of win equity here. Like, he's an $8,200 golfer that, you know, is going to be 6% owned. As you said, if Tony Finau comes out and comes in sixth place this week, nobody's going to be surprised. Metrics aren't ideal, but three top 35s is just a little too much for me to ignore based off of those numbers. Uh, Based off of what you guys just said too, I like Paul Casey a lot. I do think it's a nice price. Uh, As you said, Joel, I don't think he's going to win the golf tournament. He's going to come in like 12th place. He's going to be fine. He's first in my model in weighted proximity. He's 10th in ball striking. He is 13th in total driving. I think there's a lot to like from him there. Um, Sia brought up Webb Simpson a little bit. And at, and at $8,900, I do think his game is trending in the right direction with three top 19s in a row. Uh, to me, the ownership looks kind of condensed more so than I think Sia thought it was with it. And the only reason why I say that is, is you know, we saw him last week with what he did. And the Wyndham's like the last tournament that I'd ever want to take place before I want to play Webb because it just puts him back on the radar. And you can make the argument that this isn't the best course fit for him. You can make an argument that, you know, he went nuclear with his irons at Sedgefield. That's a course that's a top 10 lock for him. The only thing I'm going to say is the putter should get a little bit better. He lost by one shot and he lost strokes on the green. I think that's worth noting here. Um, he grades fifth for me overall in my model, you know, Webb's a guy and, and I do this on the better golf podcast every single week with Nick and Nick is so sick about, uh, about hearing Webb Simpson from me because he's a guy that always grades. Well, I just think that he's a better player than the perception is around him. And then, uh, for me, you know, Reed is interesting because he's never going to grade exactly how you would expect Cameron Smith, the same, like metrically, they're never going to be there, but Reed's upside is to win the tournament like he did in 2019. So I think as a GPP play, he can be sneaky. I probably won't get there with Cameron Smith either, just because the numbers are a little bit worse for him than I have it than a couple other guys in this range. And I guess the one I would be curious about uh, would just be Joaquin Neiman. I mean, he was kind of the one that I'm trying to make a decision on. And uh, I like his upside for something like this. Yeah, I, that, that's sort of where I was going with it because, I mean, just looking at the metrics, it's not super impressive. And looking at the finishing positions, I mean, second at the Rocket Mortgage, that's really impressive. But but outside of that, it's it's a lot of like middling finishes for a talent like that is Joaquin Neiman. But, you know, you also want to be early on some of these guys. We've talked about a lot of guys that like maybe the metrics don't really measure out, but it's, you know, are they sort of on the cusp of something? Is their game you know, in a place where we wouldn't be surprised if they finished third overall. And I think, you know, I'm not exactly confident about it, but I think in a GPP playing Joaquin Neiman makes sense for that reason. I agree. I I totally agree. Um, All right. I think now for me personally, I have a ton of my value plays in the 7K range. So basically, if you look at my kind of player pool, 
the majority of my high percentage guys are in the 7K range. And I'm more mixing and matching my guys I like in the top tier because, like I said, they're all great golfers. I don't. I think any of them can come up. I think I'm finding my value here in this range. Uh, and so I'll kick us off in the 7K range with some of the guys that I really like. Uh, starting at the top, I think Kevin Kisner is interesting. Again, I think he can compete. He's obviously playing well. He's coming off a win. Uh, and the biggest thing I like about Kisner is that he looks at does, it, it doesn't look like he's following that win with high ownership. It, it, the ownership looks really low. I mean, right now I see mm-hmm. less than 5%. I don't know if you guys are Me seeing too. that. But Me too. If it's going to stay that low for a guy who's coming off a win, who's playing really well, um, I'll take a shot on him. Uh, I, I, in the 7K range, I think he makes sense. I think Sungjae Im makes sense. He's been striking the ball a lot better. He hasn't put it fully together yet. But he, when his if his irons are working, right, the rest, that's usually the weakness of his game. So that's been working. He should be able to put the rest together in the 7K range. And he's another guy that you wouldn't bat an eye if he top 10. Um, two of my favorite plays here are Terrell Hatton and Jason Kokrak. So mm-hmm. these are two guys that, you know, if you remember last season, Terrell Hatton was, if he was below 9K, you would have been shocked. I mean, he was in the elite range every single time. Now, he's not in the best form, but he's not that far off. To be down here in the 7K range, this he's now replaced Abraham Answer, right? This was Abraham Answer a year ago. Now it's Terrell Hatton. Give that, that's the type of value we need to get to win some of these big GPPs. Jason Kokrak the same way. He's won the, on the, twice this year. Um, this is a guy that you know has good, good metrics on the bent grass, which they're playing on. Um, I think he makes a lot of sense. Again, another 7K guy that has that upside that we want. So these are these are some of my value plays at the top of the range. Um, now I'm going to scroll down to the bottom. I think you know I'll always play Sergio Garcia in a loaded field because I know with the irons he can compete with these more elite guys. You know he needs to make some putts, which he tends not to do. But he's going to be as good as anyone with the irons. It's a matter of if he can sink some putts. So in the 7K range, he's always a value for me. My number one value of the week, my number one play, Shane Lowry. 7,500, this is a guy that I wouldn't have batted an eye if he was in the 9K range. And I just think he's getting disrespected. And It's not even like he's in bad form. I mean, he maybe had, I mean, tied for 23rd in his last inning, which isn't bad. Tied for 12th at the Open, 65th at the U.S. Open, not great. Before that, a 6th and a 4th. I mean, that's, a, that's great recent form. I don't know why. I think he's just mispriced. Um and to be honest, the ownership isn't even that I I thought he would have been at 7,500, closer to 15%. Right now, I'm looking at maybe 10%, which for me at 7,500 is just a great value. So he's my number one play of the week um, in the 7K range and my favorite value. And then at the bottom of this range, there's three guys, uh, four guys I really like. There's Brandon Grace, who's just been in really good form. Jonathan Vegas, who is, you know, in his last five, it's two tied for seconds, an 11th and a 15th. Uh, he's been even making putts, which for him is rare. Uh, and Seamus Power, who uh, he's a lot of his good results have been at weaker fields. So that is one thing to, to keep in mind. But he's just playing so well at 7K range, almost in the 6K range. That's another guy that if I can get him in the bottom of my lineup to round it out, that's a strong value. I don't feel like I'm I'm kind of diving too deep to round out my lineup by putting him in there. So those are my value plays for the week. Uh, Sia, who are you looking at here? Yeah, I, I mean, I like a lot of the guys you like, uh, including power at the bottom. There's another guy at the bottom. I'm going to start there that I really like. He's he's had some time off uh, or he's taken some time off. But he, at the beginning of the season, in the middle of the season, was an absolute elite ball striker. His name is Charlie Hoffman. And I just think at 7,000, you're, you're getting some pedigree here and you're, you're getting a great ball striker. And I, I think I do think he can put four good rounds together. I think you're getting 
a really good price on Charlie Altman, mostly because he's just been, he just hasn't been around. And so I, I think if he had been playing and he had been like pretty good, like he was in the middle of the year, then I think his price could be like 7,900. So I, I do think he's probably underpriced here, but I'll be quick here because honestly, I like so many of the guys you like. First of all, I, I love Jason Kokrak. I do think the around the green game is potentially going to give him issues, but I'm willing to overlook that because I, I do think, listen, he's proven he can win twice this year. And, and I do think you're catching a guy, to your point, Joel, that is priced a certain way, but if he was, you know, 8,400, I don't think we would have been like, well, that's a crazy price for Jason Kokrak. So I, I like him quite a bit. I love Shane Lowry. I think Shane Lowry is a really, really smart play. So uh, I'm not normally on Shane Lowry, but his approach game has been elite. And, and his off-the-tee game has been a little shaky, but I don't think that's going to be a huge problem for him here. And, and I, I think if he finds a hot putter, which he sometimes does, if you match that hot putter with the the ridiculous approach game that he's he's been having, um, this is a guy that like absolutely could be there on Sunday afternoon. So I like Lowry. I like Brandon Grace. I think Garcia is interesting. I've been off Garcia lately because the putter's been that bad, but I think he could be okay here. Um, so I don't mind that play at all, but that's pretty much it. Oh, I, I will say this. You mentioned Sung J.M. I was on Andy Lack's show yesterday, Pick the Pop, great show. I'm sure most of the people listening also listen to Andy. And he kind of brought up Sung J.M. And, and he, came with, he came up with a pretty compelling argument. It's kind of the same thing, Joel, you were saying for the most part. And I think the game, I mean, he's been losing with the putter, which is interesting, but the rest of the game has come around. It almost looks like old Sungjae with the ball striking. So I think it's the right time to take him. I think you're getting him at, at a sort of like a stock low opportunity. So I think he's pretty smart there too. So th- those are most of the 7K guys I like. Spencer, anyone that we uh, we missed in the 7K range? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to reiterate all the same people that you guys just mentioned. I will go through some of them and kind of just say the same thing. One of the things you mentioned about Shane Lowry, and I don't necessarily love doing this, but even if you look at his betting odds compared to everybody else in this range, you know, shop around every price is different. I have him at 66 to one here. I mean, if we're looking at the guys near him, like Nas 90, Strillman's 90, Siwoo's 90, Bubba's 160. I think that kind of tells you that he's in the right wrong price range and, and sports books knew that and changed the value there. So I'm with you on Lowry. Uh, Sung JM at 7,800, somebody I liked also. I think this is just a great leverage spot where we're getting a huge discount because this isn't Bermuda grass. I think when you get him on Bermuda, if you gave him this price tag, he would be 25% owned. Forms turning around with 2.7 shots over his last six with his irons. Did we lose it? Can you guys hear me? I have him. Oh, okay. My bad. Keep going. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Um, uh, so then, yeah, Terrell Hatton at 7,800. Uh, he's maybe my favorite play. I mean, I know I said that about Finau, but Hatton is, that's how you're going to, I think he's going to be in the winning GPP lineup this week. I think that's an incorrect price. As you guys said, like he was a $9,000 golfer here recently, and now we got him at 7,800. 11th in weighted tee to green, fourth in strokes gain around the green over his last 24 rounds, seventh in weighted proximity, including ranking third from 200 plus yards. I agree with Kokrak. I think he checks a lot of the boxes that I'm looking at. He was a $10,000 golfer last week in a much weaker field, but it still feels like an overreaction to me a little bit. He was top 55 in every statistical metric I measured. Now in full transparency, that is around the green being thrown into the T to green mix. Obviously, if I waited around the green separately, it wouldn't be that way. So, I mean, that's just something worth looking at. I like Sergio and Keegan Bradley. I think these are two of the better overall tee to green players uh putter will always be the issue maybe for the more top end success with it but 
good course if I'm negating cutting a little bit. Um, I like Jonathan Vegas. I think this is a bad misprice on him. One of my favorite plays, and uh, I have him at plus 200 on FanDuel as a top 40 is Seamus Power at $7,000. $7,000, sorry. Um, He's a guy that I didn't like him last week, and I've kind of announced myself as the Seamus Whisperer here. So I think this is a good spot. I'm not going to go full back on saying, you know, he's going to necessarily give you a top 10. I just think the price is too cheap. And then the only person you guys didn't mention that I guess I I may have a little bit of exposure to would be Cameron Tringali at 7,300. Now, the one problem I have, the off the tee stuff is very worrisome. Um, I just think he's steady and cheap. He has 13 top uh, 35 finishes in his last 17. So it's a guy at 7,300 that I think that if the off the tee can just kind of be neutral, I think he can give you a top 25 result there. And I'll add one thing. When we look at these guys in the 7K range and we're looking at what we need from them to be, to be worth um, putting in our lineups, the 7K range, they don't need to top 10. If, if, no. if you can get four top 10s from your other guys, these guys can finish in the 20s and you can still hit a GPP. So down here, you need guys that will compete, but you don't need a top 10 down here. You just need guys that compete, that will be in it. Top 20, 25 even will be good enough uh, down this low. So – Let's take a, a final stab at the 6K range. Um, there's only two guys I like. One of them is C.S. Boy. Everyone knows who that is. So I won't mm. spill thunder on him. The one guy, uh, other guy that I like in, in this range is Maverick McNeely. I think he's interesting. I mean, he's been gaining strokes in his last few. He's been pretty consistent. He's the type of guy that if I'm playing, that's what I'm looking for. I don't think he's going to top 10, but he can give me maybe a 22. And if I have, if I hit everything else and I can fit a lot of those top tier guys in my lineup and get him as my last guy at – you know, 22nd place or something like that, that will do. So I'll have a, a few exposures to him, but I'll kick it to C and let him mention his boy because uh, he's probably, if you're going to dip real low, this is the only guy to go to. Yeah, that's true. Obviously, Joel is referring to my best friend who I've never met, uh, <laughs> Hammer and Hank Leviota, who was 6,300 on DraftKings. So, I mean, listen, he's. Uh, I'm curious, as as I'm talking to you, I'm kind of scrolling to see where his ownership is at. And it's it's not crazy bad it looks like it's going to be probably between like six and eight percent is my guess and listen you know he hasn't been great like what was really saving him before was the putter but the ball striking was also really good lately even when he withdrew um two tournaments ago from i think it was the 3m or something you know his putter kind of um was like neutral. It was he was basically a zero putter, but he was still going to make the cut and, and be able to play Saturday and Sunday. Then he misses the cut. So I guess the price is kind of fair if you consider like how elite this field is. I mean, now that I'm looking at the guys that are 6,400, 6,500, like Scott Piercy, Adam Shank, um, Dylan Fratelli, Kyle Stanley, like he should probably be above the goes like above those guys. Like maybe Brian Stewart at 6,500, maybe above Joel Damon. I don't know, but I think there's definitely value there. And if you need to go ahead, I want to add one thing. He withdrew it at the 3M Open, didn't have a sh- one round in above six above 70 or in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Missed the cut at the Wyndham Championship, didn't have one round above 70 or, or in the 70s. So in his last four, even though he didn't even play Saturday or Sunday, he still hasn't shot above a 69. Right. So that's, there's no poor form, right? He just didn't get those really low scores. So I still think he's playing pretty well. I, I admit, he, I do see he was putting really well, and some of that putting regression is coming. But he's still striking the ball out at 6,300. This is a value. 
and and it's very clear he can find a hot putter. So so you're getting again, you're getting a, a, a what appears to be a good ball striker with a guy who can really gain a lot with the putter. So a tremendous value down there. Another guy down there that I think I like. He's he's a little off people's radars. I think his recent form has been pretty good, and, and his name is Luke List. He's 6400. I think Luke List has a shot at this course, and, and I I you know he rates out pretty well in my model. Whether I do. You know, like I do 36 rounds, but if I narrow it down to like 12 or 24, like, you know, it, it seems to be on like an upward trajectory for him where he's starting to play a game that people don't think he can play. And I, and I think he might be OK in this field. The only other guy in the 6K range that I think I like is a guy who also missed the cut last week, and that's Charles Schwartzel. I'm not really sure what happened last week. He was pretty bad, um, particularly on Thursday, I believe. But I I. I have the same opinion of him now that I did last week. And, and that's that he's been a good ball striker. He's had some really nice finishing positions and I just expect him, you know, he's 6,900. I mean, I, I think if he had made the cut and had a middling result, I, I think he could easily be like 7,600, 7,700 in this field. So I do think you're getting some value. He makes me a little nervous. He's more of a GPP play. He's certainly not a cash play for me, but I think, you know, I think he's worth it, and I think those are probably the three guys I like the most. Luke List, from a value standpoint, Luke List, Leviota, and Charles Schwartzel. I mean, you're right. I, I do feel really burned by how bad he was last year. Just so you know, he was in my fantasy golf world championship lineup and really just was pathetic. But mm. um, uh, but you're right. I mean, we've said this on the show multiple times. If you liked the guy last week and he disappointed, he's not that much different the week after, right? You should, should be, there should be more of a reason to go back at maybe a better ownership. So I think that that actually is a pretty, a pretty smart point. Joel, let me interrupt right here because I, I want to give myself a pat on the back. So Bobby Dove asked, wasn't Hank Sia's secret weapon a few weeks ago? For those of you that don't know, secret weapon, a, a guy that's less than projected to be less than 5% owned and is in the 6K range. So yes, he was. And it was the week that he was 1.6% owned and he was the win daily secret weapon and he completely crushed it for us. Last week, by the way, the secret weapon was Roger Sloan. So he almost actually had an outright as a secret weapon, which would have been fantastic. So um, that thing is chugging along. It's 42 and 12. So, Bobby, thanks for pointing that out. But I, I had to throw that in there. And thanks to Sia's touting of Hank Labiota, he's no longer a secret. So he can no longer be the secret weapon because he's too big. Can't happen anymore. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Spencer, talk to us. What are you like in the 6K range? Yeah, I mean, I like a little bit more in the $6,000 range than you guys do. And just to uh, double down on the Hank LaBiota thing, because it's something I have on my model, 18 straight rounds of par or better for Hank LaBiota. I think that's worth noting. Uh, seven straight made cuts before last week. You know, I had mentioned on this show, he was one of my biggest fades of the week. So uh, he's checking out this week. I think he's somebody that I'm willing to put back into lineups at that at $6,300. Um, I kind of like Carlos Ortiz at $6,900. Irons have gained in five straight events. His usual steady around the green game has been faltering recently, but I'm willing to bet on him turning it around at the price tag. I think that's more of a GPP play. As Joel said, Maverick McNeely at 6,900 has gained tee to green in his last five starts. No, nothing worth worse than a 30th in that time frame. I like Taylor Gooch at 6,800. I think this is a good buyback spot for him. He also missed the cut last week for the first time in eight starts. He's a steady player that I think that a well-rounded course will suit him better than a tournament last week did. Uh, Ches Revy, 6,400. Another thing, I don't really know what happened at the Wyndham, but another buyback spot for him. I like Luke List also at 6,400. 12 of 13 positive events for him, T to green, in his last 13 trackable starts. 13th in this field off the tee and 6th in driving distance. And Lebiota is not the lowest that I would be willing to go now. 
I'm not going to go much lower than that, but there is one guy. I do have an eight to one ticket on him on a, on a market that pays ties in full on a top 20 bet, but that would be Doug Gim at 6,200. And I know the recent form hasn't been great. This is a course where I think that his proximity ranges, his overall ball striking, the way that he plays can work on a venue like this. If the putter can just be neutral, I think there is upside there. So that is the lowest I would go at $6,200. But um, yeah, I mean, Gim, Lebiota, List, Revy, Gooch, McNeely, Ortiz, like I'll be scattering them all in, in, in to some extent. I like it. I like it. Well, we've given you all the keys. Go make some money in the DFS. We're going to have a big week. But before we let you go, we have one more segment. We got some betting market tickets to put in now. Um, if you haven't already, I'm sure most of you already do. Uh, this is what Spencer does with uh, Nick, who you've seen on our show, a bunch of sticks picks. They have the Better Golf Podcast. They give a whole breakdown of all the different markets they like. Check that out. It's great material, especially if you're betting on top 40 markets, top 20 markets, matchups. Um, for the purpose of today, we're just going to touch on some outrights, some first-round leaders. Uh, so we'll start with you, Sia. We're going to start, obviously, with the outright market. Who do you like there? Actually, Joel, we're not going to start there. We're going to start with good chalk or bad chalk. Yeah. So let's just do that real quick. Oh, by the way, um, Scott's in here. He, he's asking about McCumber. I'll tell you, he's min price, so th- th- there's something to be said for that. But I'm not on McCumber. Did he register on any of your radars? 104th in my model overall. Gotcha. And he was 84th in mine, a little bit better, but nothing really jumped out at me to, to have me lean on um, him as, as a guy. I think Doug Gim, I think you probably just want to go up to a guy like Doug Gim, like Spencer talked about, or Leviota or Lucas, something like that. Because honestly, in the scheme of things, you'll be able to find value in plenty of other places. So you can go up 300 and, and you know, call it a day there. So, so here's what I'm going to do. There's not any super, super chalky guys because it's a little balanced. We have so, so much talent. So the chalk, the good chalk, bad chalk, is going to be anybody that looks to be in the 17 to like 20 plus percent range. So that's what that's where we're going to go. These this is not a this is not a cash consideration. So cash games, you know, let's just assume they're all kind of like, you know, basically good chalk for for the purpose of this game. We're talking like GPP, are you willing to play the chalk in a GPP or or are you just going to go ahead and fade the chalk? So that's the context of this game. So we're going to start with John Rahm because in Joel, I'll start with you and then I'll go to Spencer. It looks like he's going to be greater than 20%. So, um, which is interesting because of all the talent up there and the fact that he's the highest priced guy. So with that said, uh, Joel, starting with you, is this again, GPP context, is this good chalk or bad chalk? That's higher than I always thought, but I can't say anything but good about John Rahm. Okay. Spencer. Yeah, I mean, he's number one in my model. I guess the only concern I would have is we haven't seen him in about a month now. I, I know you could make the same argument about the memorial to the U.S. Open, uh, but that was only a week and a half. As Joel said earlier, though, I, I think you're going to get a top 10 finish from him. So I will say good. Yeah, I, you know, I'm leaning towards bad just because I, I think there's so much there's so much talent up here. But I'm saying bad, but I'm probably going to play him in a couple of GPP. So, uh, you know, take that for what it's worth. Colin Morikawa looks like he's trending, you know, in that 17, 18% range. So are we talking, Joel, good chalk or bad chalk in GPP? Good. Good. I, I like Morikawa a lot. All right. Now, interestingly, Roy doesn't fit these parameters, but he is pretty high. I mean, it's looking like he might get to that 17% range. If he does, is that good chalk or bad chalk? Joel, I'll start with you. Bad. Yeah, at 17%, I would agree. Now let's go down to Scotty Scheffler. Popular. Looks like he's tracking towards 20%. Good chalk or bad chalk, Joel? Bad. 
Bad. I prefer him for cash if I'm going to play him. Yeah, I'm going to go with bad too. I mean, he's in my write-up, but again, he's very popular. I didn't have the ownership percentages when I when I produced the initial picks article on windailysports.com, which by the way, I think is free for everybody. Uh, I'm going to go with bad too, given this ownership percentage. Okay, Daniel Berger looks like he's in excess of 20%. Joel, good chalk or bad chalk for GPP? Bad. Bad for me also. I like him for cash. Fine. Uh, if Webb Simpson creeps over that 17% mark, Joel, good chalk or bad chalk for GPP? Bad. Yeah, I mean, bad at over 17%. Uh, my numbers have him a little bit lower. So, I mean, I'll be curious to see where he's at. If he's around 10%, I like him. If he's above 15, I'll be out. And it's a good point, by the way, because the ownership numbers I'm looking at, and I won't say where they're from, but I'm not 100% sure how reliable. They're giving me an indication, but Stephen's article on windailysports.com, which is usually published between like 5 and 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, really has like the ownership numbers. Or from an accuracy standpoint, I, I kind of refer to them as the ownership numbers because they usually bear out. So we'll, ha- we'll have to check that. Maybe Webb Simpson's ownership isn't as high as this looks. Harris English, good chalk or bad chalk for GPP if he gets to that 17% range, Joel? Bad. Spencer. Bad for me also. And I think that's it. You know, you know, Terrell Hatton and Kokrak are getting some ownership, but nowhere near that 17% threshold that we talked about. So that's really it for the good chalk, bad chalk. Um, this is more of a balanced sort of ownership percentages for the most part. So you're not going to get anybody with like crazy 25% or anything like that. All right, Joel. I want to add, I'm, I add one thing to the ownership stuff. I have a buddy mm-hmm. who's new to DFS. He's playing. We were talking last week or two weeks ago. And uh, one of his strategies was to fade that he's playing GPPs and he was fading all the chalk and he was taking it way too literally, literally wasn't playing anyone that was popular. And I was like, all right, but like you want to pivot off some of the more popular guys, but there's a reason all these guys are popular. There's people are seeing something in them. Like don't fade all the chalk, just pick your spots. Maybe there's one or two chalky guys you like, you still play, but then don't play all the chalky guys. And, you know, don't feel like you can't play anyone because they're popular. I, I think that's, that would be a mistake. So here's what happens. It's like it's like a guy or a girl because we we got actually some some girls that are playing that are in our Discord, which and that are winning. Heather is one of them, and uh, Yamazaki is the other one. But um, that that I can think of off the top of my head. But you know, people love to get in the in the chalk conversation, and, and the reason they love to do that is because they love to do the following thing: Oh, you're playing that guy. Oh, he's so chalky. No, I'm not doing that. Which is really code for like. Uh, you don't really know how to do this whole like DFS thing. Let, let, let me just kind of like quietly condescend while, while I tell you like you're you're wrong about playing, you know, the guy that's yeah, 20% ownership. So what, what's funny about that is you're right. People get really in, they, they get in this trap where they're like, well, I just can't play these guys. And that's really not how it is, especially depending on your contest selection. So uh, like be really careful there because a lot of times, in in fact, a lot of people play a lot of lineups, okay? Here's here's what I want you to do at home for those of you listening at home. Um, I've always wanted to say that. Uh, play a super chalky lineup, like play like just a inexpensive a one dollar or three dollar lineup or whatever you know, and just like, like don't take it seriously in terms of like an income lineup. But play all your lineups, to like do whatever you want to do to fade ownership and all that stuff. But pick one lineup which is just super chalky and put it in a single entry or a three max or you know maybe a big tournament, but maybe like a three max and just see how it does and do that consistently for like a month. You, you just you just made a $12 investment, which may or may not make any money, probably will. But you'll get an idea of like where the chalk stands in a tournament versus where your lineup stand, where you're kind of managing ownership and stuff like that. So I really recommend that because you'll get a really good idea of whether your lineup is a duplicate or whether, you know, it actually has some 
you know, capability of taking down a tournament, you know, in like a single entry or a three max. And, and to just add one quick thing to it, the same kind of concept applies when I always talk about, um, uh, you know, when you're when you're playing guys with with the with the chalk and the guys say you never overplay someone at 100%, you know, you want to spread out your exposure because in golf it's very volatile. The same thing can happen with chalk in that you may have found all the guys that aren't popular that had a good week and nailed it. But there's one chalky guy that won the tournament. Since you faded all the chalk, all the rest of your stuff doesn't help you because you didn't play that one guy. So it's like you might need to mix in a little of the chalk to go with all the value that you find to make sure that there's a perfect form that matches it all. So, and, uh, yeah. And, and just to modify the experiment that I was talking about, don't purposely play all the chalk if you don't actually like something. Like for this sort of like, like honestly, I, like I want people to do it. Like, play. Look, my point is don't just play the chalk. Just play who you want to play without considering ownership at all. You might end up having a lot of chalky guys. Maybe you don't. But the point is, I think as a baseline, as, as, as something to kind of like look and, and see how it actually functions if you ignore ownership in some of these tournaments, I really think it's a good exercise. And the one thing I will say to it is I just think in general, the golf industry is getting sharper with it. So you're not going to be able to avoid all chalk with it and not all chalk is bad chalk. And I think mm -hmm. that's the one biggest misconception that people have is they see somebody's chalking. It's like, well, I need to pivot elsewhere. You don't need to, you know, we're building models. We're doing things. Try to find where you can leverage ownership. Try to find where you're higher than the market on given players like as Joel said, he really likes Rom this week. Like there's an opportunity to buy into him and, you know, maybe you don't like Rom and you go someplace else with it, but, you know, do your own research, try to figure out things and just try to figure out where you can uh, gain an advantage over everybody. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love it. All right, guys, let's wrap up. Uh, outrights. See ya. What do you like? So I'm only going to give you, I, I think probably like, like a few here. I mean, I think it's a little unrealistic to go into the hundred and two hundred range, but I'll, I'll give you a couple guys there just just for fun. But it's not like super serious there. Um, I'll go with Paul Casey. I sung his praises. He's thirty five to one. I think, you know, do I think he's going to win this tournament? Not necessarily, but he's. I mean, I think in twenty nineteen he was number finished second, right? And he's striking the ball, unless I have him confused for somebody else. He's striking the ball really well. I like Paul Casey at 35 to 1. I think Brooks's number, depending on where you get it, I, I think you can get it at 30 to 1 in some places. I know that's what it is on DraftKings. I think that makes sense. Hovland at 30 to 1, I think also makes sense. So those are some of the three of the sort of the lower guys I have. If I was starting to take some chances, I'll give you three guys here. Um, Matt Fitzpatrick at 55 to 1, who nobody's talking about. Joaquin Neiman at 65 to 1. And Jason Kokrak, depending on where you get him, 65 to 80 to 1. I think that's in play. If you wanted to just have some fun, um, Hank Lebiota and Luke List are both 250 to 1. So I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. And I'll throw out, I think Charlie Hoffman's 100 to 1. I, I'm not necessarily recommending those, but I think those are kind of fun numbers to play with. But I, I think those first six um, are reasonable. If I had to cut it down to five, I'd probably take Neiman and Fitz off, or cut it down to four, I'd probably take Neiman and Fitz off the list. So um, the, the, those those other four are the ones I think I really believe in. I like it. I like it. Spencer, what do you like in the outright market? Uh, I will add to the Charlie Hoffman thing. I like him for a first round leader bet at 95 to one. Um, so that's how I'm going to try to get some exposure to Hoffman. I have five outright tickets this week. Uh, some of these are a little bit different than the number Sia just said. So I didn't get the best of the number on Kepka. I got him at 25 to one. I got Bryson DeChambeau at 29 to one. Victor Hovland at 40 to one. Wow. Uh, Terrell Hatton at 60 to one. And I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. I have Tony Fee now at 60 to one. I, I like, like that card a lot. I love it. I love it. 
Um, my, my card is small. My, my fun long shot of the week is Brandon Grace at 90 to 1. Um, I also like Finau at 55 to 1. Um, I like Shane Lowry at 7 to 1. And then my two favorites up top are uh, Rory McElroy at 22 to 1. And the winner this week of the tournament is Bryson DeChambeau at 25 to 1. Wow. All right. Uh, that's my outright card. And now where we really make our money, this is how we're moving off the island. The first round leader plays. Spencer, why don't you kick us off here? Yeah. So as I said, Charlie Hoffman at 95 to 1. I am going to take a, a little bit of a dart throw on Doug Gim at 150 to 1. I like Keegan Bradley at 90 to 1. And my first round leader, who I think it will be, Terrell Hatton at 60 to 1. Oh, I like Hatton. That 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 sounds really good. I do like that. That is good. Um, cool. Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go next. Um, my one of my long shots I like as a first round leader is Ryan Palmer at 110 to one. It's a pretty big number for him. Um, for one round, I think he can put one together. I also like Jonathan Vegas, 80 to one. Um, Shane Lowry, 70 to one. And the last one I find interesting, carrying some momentum into the week, is Kevin Kisner at 65. To one. Uh, see ya. All right. Well, first of all, I fully endorse Hoffman, Keegan, and Hatton as first round leaders. I know you said some others, but those are the ones I wrote down. So I, I think those are the pretty fun and good numbers for those guys. Um, let's start with the shortest guy, uh, Victor Hovland at 40 to one. Again, I think this guy's kind of getting ignored in, in all markets, including DFS. I mean, he's not getting ignored in DFS, but I, I still think he's getting underappreciated. So Hovland at 40 to one. Um, even though I don't, you know, he hasn't played this course. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, we'll keep naming at 65 to one. Sam Burns at 60 to one. Sergio Garcia at 80 to one. Again, this is Sergio is not a guy I like for four rounds because of the putter, but the ball striking could find a good putter, you know, for round one. So I think 80 to one's a nice price there. And the breaking news here on August 17th, two days before the Northern Trust is that your actual first round leader, all these other guys that we talked about will probably all finish in a tie for second place. Your first round leader at the Northern Trust 2021. Again, it's 9.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on August 17th. This will happen on August 19th. At 65 to one, your first round leader is none other than Jason Kokrak. You're welcome, America. I like the card a lot. It's easy money. I would recommend putting everything you own on it. Don't save anything. Just the whole gamut. Probably want to mortgage your home. Make save sure nothing on that. Yeah, save nothing. Don't Borrow pay. money from family as much as you can. Uh, yep. For sure, uh, make make everyone broke just so that when you when you give it back at Christmas season because you got rich, they're gonna thank you. So exactly. Well, what you should do also while you're at it is uh, get a membership to Win Daily. Oh, yeah. well, that's very smart. Yeah. Mm. Well, make I, some money. Give you know, spend it, put a little bit on to win daily. You'll make some more money. Well, who Go gave you, who gave you the tip to get you all the money? Yeah, Just back to the well. It's very easy. It's a very easy formula, guys. This isn't rocket science. Go to the well. We give you the picks. You put all your money on it, and then you're rich. Um, good luck this week, everyone. Uh, we have a, we have a great card. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to get back next week. Post on Twitter. See how everyone did, and uh, have a great week. Good luck. Thank you, guys. Oh wait, one more thing, Joel. First of all, Joel, Joel, it's it's at Draft Master Flex. We don't have your we don't have your your tag there. So for for those of you that are not already following Joel, it's at Draft Master Flex. But um, and at T Off Sports, you, you guys know where to find him. But listen, there's just one, just one more thing, Joel. Just sports. 